The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I hope that you're looking after yourselves, being kind to yourselves and to each other because it just feels like a lot at the moment. Um, just everything that's happening in the world, it just all really feels like a lot. So remember to take the time that you need, step away, close that laptop, turn off that phone do whatever it is that you need to, whether that's be the gym or going for a walk or playing your favourite music or reading a book. Just do whatever you need to do. Today, I am joined by Anna Porobkansky. We also have a laugh at the beginning of the episode, which you'll hear of me trying to say Anna's surname. I don't know what's going on at the moment. I can't seem to say people's names because if you listened to our award season podcast the other week, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, Anna was wonderful about it. Anna is a theatre maker, singer and artistic director of Company of Wolves, um, which is a theatre company based in Glasgow. And um, today we talk about Anna's work and the company and their work. Um, we also talk about Anna's childhood and living in Russia and Vienna and how important the arts are at a young age and how that influence really shifts who you are and can change as things grow. And we also talk about balancing of work life and parenthood. And I think really this conversation that we have covers it for everyone, whether you are in the arts or not, that balance that all of you who are parents have to do. Um, you're all doing a great job, by the way. So just remember that. We also discuss Anna's new show, Unbecoming, which is touring Scotland from the 9th of March. All details are in the show notes of today's episode. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter, at Persistent Nasty. Instagram, at Persistent and Nasty. Facebook, Persistent and Nasty. Give us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can also follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. And for those of you who are already a nasty a hero and a persistent pal thank you thank you thank you you're keeping the podcast going you're keeping the advocacy work going which we constantly are doing in the background you are keeping our coffee mornings our amazing a uh, coffee mornings which is a place for people to come and meet and chat and laugh and just connect with um other like-minded souls and it's a beautiful beautiful place to be and unfortunately, I am missing this month um, due to a family bereavement, which was why there was no podcast last week. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't be with everyone 
today because it is Friday. So I hope those of you who are at the coffee morning are having a lovely time. Have a cuppa for me, please. Um, and if you would like to help keep persistent and nasty going, please uh, check out the link in our show notes to our Ko-Fi. Uh, you can, as I say, you can be a persistent pal or a nasty hero or you can just donate the price of a cup of tea or whatever you can to us. We do realise things are really tough for everyone and we are extraordinarily grateful to those of you who are donating to us. It really, it really means the world to both Louise and I. For today's episode, ooh, I think, oh, do you know, actually, I think something warm and cosy and... Yeah, just whatever you, your favourite drink. So whether that's a hot chocolate or like, I don't know, a gingerbread latte. Can Are you still doing gingerbread lattes in February? I don't know because I don't drink coffee. Um, or just a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy. That's all Anna, right. put a can ski. Yeah. Yay. Well done. Yay. Um, and I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, this has been a few months in the making of getting a date where yeah. we can have a conversation. Um, so for our listeners, give us a little bit of a history of you and your, <laughs> how you're here, what's led you to this point, all of those lovely things. All, all of the goods, all of the goods. Yes. Well, um, Ah, how does one even begin? So right now I'm sitting in the south side of Glasgow uh, in my kitchen. uh, And Elaine, you can attest to the like. I'm really enjoying the background, yeah. Yeah, kids drawings and um, on the walls and all kinds of such. And uh, I'm surrounded by um, bits of little paper fortune tellers. Did you ever make those things? Yeah, you know, like. Yeah, you you kind of open and close them and you have to count and then you open up the next one and what's inside. So my daughter's just learned how to make that. So I've got lots of little scraps of those and a hairbrush. And I'm actually really happy that those are still going. Yeah. In a world where kids are so surrounded by technology, that that little game you can play with a piece of paper is still going makes kind of makes me feel really happy. (laughs) It's somehow life affirming, isn't it? We don't need yeah. all of the other stuff. All you need is a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So I guess, you know, just to situate me, breakfast dishes on the table, my cat just threw up on the floor five minutes before. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, this is like, this is the real deal. Um, not even a Monday morning. It's what is it? A Thursday morning. Isn't it? <laughs> um. So that's that's where I'm starting from. And uh, um, yeah, so I I guess a, f- a few things about myself. So I am the co-artistic director of Company of Wolves. Uh, the other co-artistic director is my husband, Ewan Downey. Um, and um, we've been running the company since 2012. So a nice, healthy, long time. Um, and I'm a theater maker and a singer and a, a bunch of other things, a company runner. <laughs> um, it's that thing as an artist nowadays. It's like you're not just one thing. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's so 
I'm always like it's really important because I am tutor young people who want to do this as a career as well and I'm kind of like you know the the days of you just quote unquote being an actor are long there's just so much yeah there's so much you have to know what to do yeah and and you know I think I don't know if you know more about this than I do. I feel like it's possible that there are some courses out there that are starting to incorporate all of the things that you have to do in order to to survive out there. But, you know, you and I really uh, had a crash course when we first started the company um, in, you know, on the ground, learning how to produce and learning how to market and how to deal with finances and how to do all of the nitty gritty everything um and you know we're in a really amazing position at the moment where we have uh two team members who are awesome who are so incredible um Corin uh, Salisbury and uh Tuesday McPhail who um are just like keeping the company going and they add all their expertise in as well and um with you know we used to have to do it all ourselves and now because they're part of the team we can actually focus a lot more on the strategic side of things and the artistic side of things in a in a little bit more of a healthier way so so yeah so I guess that's kind of like kind of where I'm at at the moment but I mean I don't know do you want more yeah yeah like I mean for those listening they'll uh, obviously you're not a native Scot no I'm not this is true um Um, yeah just how you I mean I hate the journey word but I'll use it your um your kind of process and like pathway of getting to Scotland and also has theatre always and the arts always been your kind of main your main thing has it always been <laughs> love um did it start like you know were you that that young kid that had a uh, their tap shoes on at three and given solo performances <laughs> um right yeah no I was the kid who just wanted to spin in a circle forever that was that was <laughs> yeah that's yeah, why I wasn't allowed back to Bali yeah pretty much <laughs> I don't want to do pointed toes I wanted to spin spin that's the fun stuff yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah I mean it's so okay yes so I'm American um I am originally from Wisconsin, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, um, and uh, have barely lived in the States, actually, though, because my dad was a journalist and he moved us overseas when I was seven. So I grew up in uh, Moscow and in Vienna. Um, And yeah, it was amazing. It was really it was an amazing way to grow up. not that I really had a choice, but, you know, it was it was a pretty incredible experience to have. And we were in Moscow in um, in the 80s. Uh, so we moved there in 87. Um, and uh, I mean, that be- must have been a huge shift, like just in general in culture and oh. especially like in 87 to go from the US to Moscow must have yeah. been like, wow. Yeah, it was it was it, it, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Uh, it was like. Um, you know, we were living in New York City and we um, uh, moved to Moscow in February. So it was, you know, the dead of winter. And um, and I, I remember very clearly my mom, after we had moved, my mom showing me a, a globe and saying, basically, you know, 
where we are, they have uh, nuclear weapons pointed at where we're from. And they've got, in the States, they've got nuclear weapons pointed back. And that's just, you know, this is the situation that we're in at the moment. And um, getting off of the plane in Moscow in the middle of, it was dark outside. And it was my first entry point into Moscow. And and um, and the whole plane, because it was coming from America, it was surrounded by um, military officers with giant, giant guns. <laughs> and like, here am I, like tiny little kid, like, oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Russia is an amazing country, beautiful country, and the people are gorgeous and so full of passion. And um, the history is, oh, God, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into a lot of that. But the culture is incredible and the language is beautiful and the arts are so important. So oh, that's it. Yeah, the arts yeah. are hugely important in mm. Russia. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, so I have, I kind of have that. And then we moved to Vienna when I was uh, 11, 12. And then I graduated high school there. So I was there for a really good chunk of time. And that's like, you know, talk about more culture, like a city of culture, like, wow, the operas and the classical music. And like, it was just, it's like in the air. And we went, you know, as a, as a young kid, we actually, I had gone to um, Salzburg to visit Mozart's birth place and like you know all these places like oh my god Mozart touched this banister you know like it yeah. really 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 um influential um experiences um so yeah so that's kind of kind of the early like that was feeding into things I remember the first the first thing that I saw one of the first things I saw was um was the magic flute but with marionettes and that was in Salzburg, I think I saw that. And I remember like, you know, it's quite abstract and really rich with music and color. And so I feel like that has been, you know, I, I guess just to, to begin to talk about how, how the arts have fed into my life. Like that was a really major, those, all of those experiences were quite intense and, and very, very important. Um, and, and then I ended up back in the US for university because I kind of thought, well, I'm American. I should go and find out what that's like. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Um, so I, I ended up at a very, very small liberal arts school um, in the middle of very conservative Wisconsin, uh, which was a very wrong decision, I think. <laughs> Um, and got quite lost and it was it had a music conservatory so I thought maybe I would go into that but they were training opera singers okay and that wasn't really what I wanted to do uh, we did a lot of arts in in high school and like you know school plays and things like that and was really getting into music then and doing a lot of singing um, and it really wasn't until um, I, I left that school, went to a state school, finished up my degree, really like, and, and started a kind of guerrilla theater company with a friend. Um, it was called Raised by Monkeys. And all we wanted to do was like hit the streets and um, change the way people saw the world. Like we wanted to do things out on the city streets and like interventions of some kind. Uh, 
And I was at the time working at a children's museum. So we were doing a lot of interactive, like getting kids involved in community arts and things like that. And it, the pieces were kind of starting to fall into place of things that I was interested in, but they weren't quite making sense to me. I was like, okay, I want, I want people to feel shaken up. I want people to feel something because at that time it was like around the year 2000 or so. And we were fighting against George W. Bush, who now seems like small potatoes compared to yeah. <laughs> yeah. all of the things that we've had to deal with since then. Mm. Um, and people felt complacent. We all felt complacent. And 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 I felt like art is a is a place for feeling something other, feeling something from somebody else, where somebody shares something. And you get a chance to try it on a little bit. Like, what does that feel like? How do how do I confront myself with another person's um point of view or their experience or something uh, and so I, I started I started thinking about that a lot and and ended up um looking for master's programs because I was like I don't think I have all the tools I need in order to figure this out yeah so I ended up at goldsmiths actually and oh in London yeah 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 so that's kind of like all of that stuff ended up getting me to the UK yeah so and I did a, a master's in sociology and performance. And that seemed to start making sense, you know, like talking about like, how are we as human beings? And what is it, the what's the relationship with, with how we express ourselves and how we communicate with other people? Um, and then I started doing a PhD on top of that, like afterwards, because I still wasn't finished. And then it wasn't a practical based PhD. It was, a, it was a purely academic one. And I ended up going to Poland um, because there was a theater company there that I kind of, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how I found it, whether my supervisor um, was coming, uh, my supervisor might've mentioned it to me and I don't really remember. But anyway, I ended up in Poland finding Song of the Goat Theater. And I, when I saw the performance, it was um, Chronicle, it was called uh, Chronicles. It was based on um, Gilgamesh, the story of Gilgamesh. And they, the, that theater company had a space in an old church. And it was like a religious experience going to see these shows. You'd go in and they'd hold you back from going into the space, into the actual theater space until everyone was there. And it was all like, everyone's really buzzy, 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 buzzy. There are people who would go see this show like 10 times. They would go again and again and again. Um, and they let us all in. And the show was like 35 minutes long. That was it. It was 35 minutes long. But at the end, there nobody left. There were people in the audience holding hands and weeping. It was like this, it was something happened in that show where I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This is theater. This is, this is it. This is the thing that like can change us and can confront us. And it's not just about word and it's not just about story. It's about body. It's about voice. It's about emotion. It's about how all of these things inhabit us and how they are uh, 
how are they um, emitted from one body and how are they received to another body? And from that point on, I was like, bam, okay, okay, this is something. So my PhD was focused on that company and kind of a progression of companies that kind of led into this style of ensemble theater that's very, very embodied, um, very much about learning. It's It sounds so kind of, I'm really un, uh, I'm, I'm not, pleased with the words that I'm finding consistently to describe this, but it's like how to learn how to be human <laughs> in a way, like how do we learn how to be human? Like we just kind of keep going and we keep moving through space and doing the things we have to do. And we learn things from people around us, but at what point do we ever study how our bodies move? Like what are, what, how do we study? Like, oh, this is how my skeleton is built and this is how my joints work. And this is how my breath moves. And this is the muscles that actually expand in order to allow my breath to come through. And this is the sound of my voice when I'm nervous. This is the sound of my voice when I'm calm. This is the sound of my voice when I'm angry. This is the sound, you know, how, how do we actually begin to investigate ourselves as human beings? And um, and and that's really what Company of Wolves has become. Uh, that's really Ewan and my obsession is how is it that we can make theater that comes from all of who we are as human beings? And how is it that we can make a workshop or a training situation where we are um, creating a really permissive space, a really open space where people feel that they can actually step into themselves and become empowered by, oh, this is what I sound like. Oh yes, I want to move like that. And I don't care if it looks silly. And I don't care if, you know, I don't care if people are watching me because this is how I feel. Um, and 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 that's really that that is in essence like what i'm trying to do with my work is create spaces where um if i can i'll sh if i can show me yours no if i can show you mine maybe you'll show me yours a little bit and it's and and it's not like i'm i'm asking audiences to to actually legitimately like really show me something but just if we can create create a space to feel together yeah uh, then I feel like maybe we can all listen a little better mm. and maybe we can understand each other a little bit better and maybe maybe we can all just be a little bit better for each other yeah it's, it's a really beautiful way of putting it I think and I think that there is that thing of, like you saying learning to be human I totally get what you mean by <laughs> we're never really taught how to use our bodies properly mm. and I think it's because you know as a baby and a toddler you're learning how to use it so it then just becomes instinctual but then the world and your surroundings and whatever happens in your life as a child and then as a teenager all impacts that and you start to build up different protections yeah, exactly. And it becomes like a social, a social 
space where like our bodies become kind of dictated by how we maneuver through the social world as opposed to our bodies being the most important thing and you know if we're grounded in our bodies then maybe and that if that came first then maybe the social side of things wouldn't be so um sweepingly scary i think you know i i've got uh, we have a, a toddler a three-year-old and it's incredible to watch her developing her uh the way that she navigates through the world this is it's happening you know it's actually happening in front of us watching this go from like real like alive in the body in the body in the body and then all of a sudden social world okay like how does that shift things um and how is it that we can keep her connection to her body alive as she gets older I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also I think like um my niece is three, mm. um, three and a half actually. Um, so that age group, they've missed out on their first part of their socialization because of obviously COVID and yeah. um, our various lockdowns. And I look at her and then I look at my nephew who's seven, and he was you know in nursery when my sister went back to work so about a year and a half and mm -hmm. um but my niece wasn't and um she I mean she's still actually very social she's not scared of people she, but she also doesn't have the oh I should be maybe a little bit wary she would go with anyone ah uh, okay so okay. you're like mm, oh. it's maybe not <laughs> 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 but also not want to take that away either because it's a really beautiful open thing to be absolutely absolutely um, so it, it's so fascinating and I think because I do work with a lot of young people as well like I'm seeing so many variations of how our bodies are being affected and then how mm. our performances are affected because it's all interconnected yeah. along with how we socially navigate being in a rehearsal room mm -hmm. or being in a classroom quote-unquote or a workshop space like yeah. all of that I mean even those of us who were fully formed <laughs> I mean are we ever really fully formed I don't know <laughs> um, but the, you know those two years have had an impact on us as well mm -hmm. never mind those of us who are still developing yeah so I mean that must because you were doing um Julius Caesar when because that was 2022 start of 2022 um yeah I'm sorry cat it is like lockdown the cat just walked across, yeah, the, screen. Walked across the screen <laughs> um yeah we were due to have Caesar up um uh when I think the Oh, it was we tried so many times we ended up trying three times before we I think the third time we finally got it up and staged um but yes we were we were kind of in the middle of trying to get that up but also like the in you know in the middle of all that too was that we had our our second daughter three months before the first lockdown so you know that was like okay <laughs> yeah everything's everyone's going to be on maternity leave with me right <laughs> okay I, I like we'll circle back to that because I want to kind of talk about kind of getting a show up and running mm. but um, so and you obviously went to Goldsmiths and then um met you and 
Yes, and, in Poland. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because Ewan was a, a member of Song of the Goat Theater. Um, and so, yes, I was I was conducting very important research. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and so we met in Poland and then we lived in Poland for a couple of years and then just got to the point where we're like, okay, I think I think this part of I think this part is done and we need to go and and figure out what it is that we want to do. And we're both very much um, better working for ourselves. We have too strong opinions to be working for anybody else. So um, we we decided to start, we, we decided to start a company and that actually really came from, uh, so we do a, an annual winter training that comes every every January. And the company actually came out of the very first winter training that we ran, ran, which was in January, 2012. We did two weeks with a gorgeous group of people. It was really intense. And we just like learned a ton of songs and did a ton of movement. We did a lot of drawing and like lots of investigation, investigation, investigation. And afterwards we're like, okay, I think we need to start something here. And um, we really did think because in, in Poland, the, the funding situation at least at the time was such that um, you could have an ensemble. You could actually have salaried actors, <gasps> you know, shock and horror. Be, know. <laughs> that could be your job. Um, and we did try to build an ensemble and the funding situation here just, and you know, it's just too, it's unpredictable and people need to get work. And we weren't able to support people for a long period of time to keep keep working with them. So we've had to rejig things. And so Company of Wolves is very much you and I and how how we work together and what we want to do. And we're you know very much about um building a um a community of people who want to work in a similar way but also very much about now that we've been going for so many years how is it we're very much interested in looking at how we can build things to share the knowledge that we have and to help people find their own paths and and um, because we don't we don't want people to do what we do we want them to do what they do um and and be strong in what they do and and um and bring their their own creativity and their own very unique um, palette uh, into the work um, with us or with themselves. And it's really it's important that everybody that we work with is really um, um, like engaged in in what they love. And that's so important because there is something, and I'm sure for people listening who've experienced that when you. I, I mean, I'm going to say the arts just because we're in the arts, but I think it doesn't matter whatever like um, part of the world that you work in. Um, if it's your passion and it's the thing that feeds your soul, it's about really truly finding what it is that works for you and being encouraged by that because all of us will know times when that hasn't been encouraged or supported yeah. um, and how, how that then makes you feel. So the fact that you're using you know the work that you're doing and you're creating that space but encouraging people to do it for themselves and I think is really it's a really important tool and it's something that we all kind of need to do because I think there's that thing of like oh well I can just keep this little group of people because we all work so great together and I'm mm -hmm. having a great time so let's all just stay together and you can't go anywhere else <laughs> and, then, and then it's like well actually no maybe that person does need to go and do that 
yeah thing over there that isn't quite for me so but we can still have our absolutely yeah yeah I think that's really really true and you know and to add in another really um uh intense dynamic as well as the fact that you and I work together and we're married and we have a family together and so including that dynamic into a relationship as well I think that has helped us you know personally but also professionally because we're understanding that actually the most important thing for us in making theater is is about relationships it's like how do you have a healthy relationship with a person and you know part of having a healthy relationship is knowing when it's time to go and do something else for a while. Um, and that's actually, you know, and, and that's been something that you and I have had to learn to do. And, and having kids has been great because you can't actually do things together when you have kids. <laughs> so, you know, that's, we've had to make solo shows because we can't work together. We, we, we can run the back end of the company, but we can't yeah. actually be in a rehearsal room together because who's going to look after the kids, who's going to make dinner and do the pickups. And and um, how have you found navigating that? Cause that's a really interesting, like we said just before we started, I was, would we talk about um, parenthood and um, how I had said, you know, I've heard a few, male actors not on our podcast obviously um not that you're not welcome men you absolutely are but um, (laughs) you absolutely are um talk about you know they're never really asked about how they balance parenthood and work Mm. um and that's really so how first of all is as a company how do you and you and divvy that up or is it just do you make the clear decision that if one of you has a job, then the next time it's the other one? We're doing a little bit of, we're trying to be a bit strategic and we're doing a little bit of both like um, thinking ahead and also, um, well, I mean, on one level, it's been very clear to us that because I have been the person who's been bearing the children, my, my career has taken a hit. It's just, that is just the straight up truth of the matter. Um, and there are amazing women out there who do incredible things while pregnant and while after just having given birth. And I'm not one of those incredible women. Like I needed time. Um, and uh and I've had to take the time and I've had to also be really quite uh, brutal with myself to get myself back into work. Um, and you mean, Do you mean that you kind of felt you could easily have just stayed in that mode for a little bit? Yeah. Longer? So for me personally, it's, it's really like, there's definitely a part of me that just wishes I could be a mom and stay at home and do art projects with my kids and make nice dinners and like clean the house and all these, you know, all of the things that I, you know, that you know, in the 1950s, <laughs> a mother would do. And there's definitely a part of me that feels like I should be doing that. And then there's another part of me that hates that part of me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and is restless and selfish in this beautiful way and, you know, wants space and time and doesn't want 
anybody to be involved and wants to be on my own. And so it's, it's taken me years to figure out how to deal with those two parts that do not work well together. Um, what I've found now that I have two children and I'm a good, you know, eight years into this experience of child rearing, um, is uh, that the more space I give myself, the better mom I can be. Yeah. So like last autumn, I went on tour with Unbecoming. I was gone from the house for three and a half weeks. That is really intense, a long mm. period of time being away from family. And it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself ever. Um, because I came back and I was clear. I was refreshed. I knew that I had given myself everything I needed to give myself. And now I was ready to be able to give myself to my family in a different way while still managing to balance my own needs. So like I knew that in order to get through the week, I would need to make sure I was going for a run. I was making sure I was needing to do some reading. I was needing to make sure that like I had some ideas about things I wanted to work on. And I, like it, it just felt more balanced. I think that's so important. I, I just am. Um, and it's so important that people hear that, I think, as well, because, you know, what you were saying about that two thing, those two kind of inner battles of wanting to just be at home and like do all the art stuff and do that kind of 1950s housewife thing and then the other part of you that's fighting against that and I think that especially for those of us who are very um there are intersectional feminists and you know all of that but it's always like you know it's your right to choose if you want to be a stay-at-home mom like absolutely go be that stay-at-home mom and like embrace and love every minute of that but what you've just said is something and I'm not a parent, um, but what I have said it to a few of my friends when they've kind of spoken to me about quote unquote mum guilt, about wanting to go and do something else. And I'm like, I don't, I look at it and I go, but if you love your job and you come back to your children and your family, you are a better parent for that mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you've got to do the thing that is at your core. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can only say that from watching my mum who is an incredible mum but is also an incredible nurse hmm. and it's absolutely who she is she was absolutely born to be a nurse like there's no doubt in my mind and I believe she was born to be a mother as well but she she loves being a nurse and it's part of her so when she's done that and she comes back granted that's a really it's very you know can be really draining and everything but she loves it and then I get to see that. And I think as a child, you then get to go, okay, cool. So I need to find the thing that makes me feel like that. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. I've got a little bit of background noise because my cat is pulling magnets and papers off the refrigerator right now. That's um, okay. Don't worry about it. I've, I've not shut my window and the birds are tweeting outside. So. Oh. <laughs> um, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's, I think it's, I think the thing with the mom guilt is oh okay don't worry about it <laughs> all right everybody enjoy the cat noises natural yes everybody all is listening like a cat. description 
<laughs> Everyone who's listening to a cat or a dog or any other type of animals, like, yep, yep. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is actually the mom guilt is so real. <laughs> it's so hard to deal with because I think it's like having to get through, like, okay, I birthed you and I have been the only one that you've like if if a woman is breastfeeding like i am nourishing you i am feeding you and when i go away there is fear i am creating fear when i go away and watching and dealing with the ramifications like with our first daughter um who's 8 now i had a hard time even taking a shower for like months because it meant that i actually had to leave her and make her cry and i didn't know how to deal with that and so I didn't, <laughs> you know, like I like was really, really, really hard to get myself to do those things. And so it took a lot longer to get back to work. And like, this is this, you know, I could talk a lot about this kind of stuff, but really like all of the things that we're, we're coming around to are exactly what my solo show is about. It's like, how, how is it that we become women and who teaches us and yes our mothers teach us but our mothers are also learning how to do it themselves as they're going along and you know and and so in a way what I'm trying to do with this show is I'm trying to expose what I've had to go through as I have been living it being like this is really hard <laughs> and I don't know what it means to be a woman. I think this is sometimes how I feel like this. And sometimes it feels like this and I'm supposed to be beautiful and I'm supposed to rear the children and I'm supposed to cook the dinners because they need me. And also I have to make the work and I have to, how do, how do I be all of those things? How do I be all of those things? I can't be all those things, but somehow I have to, I have to, and, but what, what is underneath all of the should, 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 could, could, would, will, have to, have to, have to, have to, but like, what's, what is, who, who am I, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. who am I underneath all of that, and how do we learn, and I think the only way, the only way I can feel for, for me personally, and this is my choice and my path. The only way that I feel like I can learn is from hearing about others' experiences, like listening to like the, the daily grind. I want to know what it's like inside. So if that's what I want to know, then maybe what I can do is show people what's inside me and show them the... <laughs> And then maybe my will resonate with your and together we'll be like, I see you. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, is that just that more, just that sense of like, it's what you mentioned earlier, that power that theater has and art has about connection and I think it is about feeling seen. Yeah. Like I, I truly believe everybody deserves to see themselves on a stage or a screen at some point. Mm. Everybody deserves to have that moment of, yeah, I am not alone. Mm. 
um and that's from whatever background you are from like you deserve that you deserve to know that and to know that someone else gets how you feel yeah and I think that's really important and so I mean that was a beautiful segue into your new show (laughs) (laughs) well beautifully done there (laughs) lovely thank you very much I'm really interested like for you as a performer and well just as a human being like creating unbecoming like how was that for you that whole process and those questions that you're putting to yourself of oh you know as you're saying that oh I need to be doing or I should be doing (laughs) while you're in a rehearsal room Mm. of shit I should be doing the dinner tonight and I'm not like how was all of that for you extraordinarily hard it was basically this show um it it all started I know exactly the moment when I knew I had to make this show because I swore I was never going to make solo work (laughs) this is like (laughs) this is this is my mo is the minute I hear the words coming out of my mouth I will never dot 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 it means I'm definitely doing it at some point (laughs) I've said it too many times and proven myself wrong so um yeah I um I was, um, something was happening in the kitchen. I can't remember what my daughter was probably about two, two and a half, my older, older daughter now. Um, and I went into the bedroom in a total rage. I think I screamed into a pillow and then I put headphones on and listened to, um, Danzig. (laughs) Do you know Danzig? It's a, it's a, it's really embarrassing music. <laughs> There's a song called Mother by Danzig. I'm and now going to be Spotify in it as soon as we're... Yeah, you should do. Actually, you should probably watch the video as well because Glenn Danzig is the singer, right? And he's, I don't know if it's actually German or it's, but like it's ha- hair metal, you know? Mother, don't you hear me cry tonight? You know, that kind of stuff. And I just like had to purge 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 and I was like oh so the show actually originally I thought it was going to be called mother dash as in like mother or mother mother mother. and 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 that it was that way for quite a while I got some residencies and I basically spent my entire time like listening to really angry music and dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing and screaming and writing. And then I found myself reading um, Henry and June by um, Anais Nin, uh, which is a gorgeous piece of writing, but it's about like her sexuality and she's married, but she's finding herself attracted to uh, another man and then his partner. I mean, like, and there's like all kinds of things going on about like who she feels she should be. Who do I need to be and who do I want to be? Mm. And I'm living out this path over here, but actually all of this on this other side over here is not allowed. And yet that's part of me. So that started making me think a lot about these these shoulds and coulds um and wants and desires and kind of concurrently I found myself working at um the creative lab space in the CCA and I don't know if you know the space but it's got windows everywhere it's so exposing (laughs) and I 
I'm like constantly like putting the blinds down. And then also it's, it's kind of a funny one because people can walk through the space to get to an office. And I was mortified that someone would see me doing whatever it is that I needed to do. And I, and I thought, you know, um, you're scared of this and therefore you have to deal with this. And I realized that I had to raise all the blinds and I had to be as obvious and loud as humanly possible. And I took, <laughs> I took um, photographs. Uh, I, I found photographs of men's eyes and I cut them out life-size and I put them in on all four walls so that I had to like make it obvious. You are being watched. You are being watched. You are always being watched. People are always watching you. What does it do? What does it do to your movement? What does it do to your dancing? What do you need to say? What do you need to be heard? How do you need to be seen? How is it that you're scared to be seen, but like, how is it, how do I deal with this sight, this being seen thing? So interested. I'm so interested that it was male's eyes that you used mm. as well. Mm. That thing of like, I think for those of us who have, you know, grown up and living our lives as female, I've from such a young age that idea of like what it means when a man looks at you in comparison to what it means about when a woman looks at you yeah yeah and it's not to say that there's I mean you know talking about like kind of early noughties like the the way women were pitted against each other is you know just in the press and in our kind of social culture and then particularly mm -hmm. like film and telly and like music in particular so you know you've always got that thing of like are other women judging you but there's something else about when it's a male eye so I'm really that really fascinates me yeah I think yeah I think you're you hit it right on the head there I think that's there is something about it and I feel like that was the beginning of me realizing that what I understood how I understood to be a woman was not from other women but was how men were making me women making me a woman you know the, the male gaze was how I defined how I was as a woman yeah and how messed up is that yeah um I actually have never articulated it like that before that's not occurred to me so thank you for that that's really um, uh really really interesting I I think um I think um that was a huge huge part of it and that was when I think the show stopped being about motherhood and became about womanhood mm -hmm. because it's you know there's there's an aspect of yes the the transitions that we make as women um from girl to woman from woman into mother you know these are quite major shifts and i think um and i and i don't know what the roadmap is you know is there a roadmap like the thing is, is, you know, I, one of my prevailing thoughts after having my first child was looking around the world at the people walking on the street 
and thinking, how is it that this has been happening under my nose for my entire life? And I didn't know it was so goddamn hard. Like how, how, how is it possible that all of these people have raised children? Like, how are we surviving as a species? This is not okay. Like, that's, that's insane. And, you know, in a, in a similar way, you think about like a girl becoming a woman. Like, again, it's happening all the time, constantly, but like, it's so, it's really, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm just, I've got flashes of like my eight-year-old daughter in my head and I've got, you know, friends who have 14 year olds and 15 year olds. And I'm thinking this process is happening. How are they learning mm. who they want to be? How are they learning how to navigate in the world, the, how to navigate the world as women yeah. when they're in this in-between stage? And again, thinking about that male gaze, and I feel like that male gaze is what taught me so much and also like dictated how much I wanted like what kind of woman I wanted to become, mm. which actually makes me feel slightly ill. Well, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, as you say that, I was like, what would have happened to all of us if we'd have been allowed to just have that kind of feminine gaze on us? Mm. And I kind of like the more you the more we're chatting about it as well, I'm like, it's not it's maybe not necessarily even the male gaze, but the patriarchal gaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it, then, I mean, it's it feels... capitalist gaze because yeah. then it well, comes into like all of all of those things that from a really young age, how many of us were like, oh, I need to buy makeup to make myself look prettier. Absolutely. It's a it's judgment gaze is what it is. It's, yeah. it's very judgment. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is exactly it. Yeah, exactly it. And how do we navigate through that? Like, how do we how do we figure out who we actually are when we've shaped ourselves in accordance to a social structure that is completely fabricated, that we've all bought into, mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily want to buy into, that we that it just it's like it's in the water and it's the air. And so how do we how do we even separate ourselves from it? And how can we find any change? How can we change it? How how do we do that? I've, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I think just, you know, like having these conversations, you making a performance about it, that somebody just might happen to go and see and you'll see it and they'll be like, oh, Mm. I need to think about these things a little bit more. And I always remember my parents said to me, my dad, oh, this is like a few years ago. And he's like, we're having a conversation. And I was bringing up stuff of when I was a teenager and like things that he might have said. And he was like, I do worry all the time that I got it wrong. Mm. like I worry all the time that I got it wrong with you but then I look at you and you're really well-rounded and then but he's like but that's your mum and I was like well it's not just mum though dad because there's two of you in the house but and he's like but there's no book really nothing you don't get a book nobody tells you how to do this and it's that thing of I think you only realize that when you're an adult that your parents are human mm-hmm. and they make mistakes and they get it wrong and they actually and, have no idea what they were doing yeah And um, so all those things that you feel as a kid and a teenager and all of that, like you then, and I think that's just always going to be that they'll never quite get it until they're older because it is part of the process. Mm -hmm. I think for adults, it's like also remembering it's okay that you maybe made a mistake. 
Yeah, well, and I, I think, yeah, absolutely, you're right. I, and that we make mistakes all the time. And I think, and that maybe there has to be somehow societally less weight put on the fact that they're mistakes, not seeing that they're failures, but they're like opportunities for learning something. And I don't know. I mean, I think this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before about how how to learn how to be human. Mm. You know, how is it that how is it that we can kind of come to a point in our lives where we can just be like, okay, but this is, I, I'm learning still. Even if I'm an adult, I still am learning. I still don't know how to do this. I've got teachers all over the place. Like, oh my God, my kids are my teachers all the time. And, and I'm trying really hard to be the kind of parent who will, will be able to say, I'm really sorry. I didn't get that right. And, and it's, and I don't know if, I don't ever know if that's the right tactic or not, because they're so we, and they need us to be right, you know, they, they really, they, they need us to be the absolute. I mean, again, not being a parent and I don't know, but I think there's something about in the moment, yeah, they do need you to be right and all of that, but the older version of them will remember that moment when you said, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. I didn't get it right. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's also something about um, owning and claiming it when we get it wrong. Because mm-hmm. actually, yeah. if we're taught that from a really young age, yeah, about it, you know, saying sorry for getting something wrong isn't a big deal. Yeah, no, it's it's really not, is it? It's really yeah. not. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, there's not. so many over the, so many people that are caught up in not being able to apologize for making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Because which that's why so which is why we're at where we're at. Exactly. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> because it's seen as weakness rather than it's seen as like rather than it's seen as power. Because actually, admitting your mistake is powerful. It's, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. What is it that you're hoping for everyone who comes to see the show Unbecoming? What is it you hope they take away from that? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, you know, the show is, the show is really dreamlike. It's not narrative based. It's, um, this is going to be a roundabout way to answer your question. Um, I love roundabout ways. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) Excellent. Um, So, because uh, music is so important to me, I, when making the show, I was trying to figure out how it is that I could make the music and still perform the show, you know, like how the, otherwise I'm going to be, what am I, a, a band <laughs> doing, you know, am I a front, front, front singer, lead singer for a band? No, that's not right. But I work with a lot of um, effects pedals. And so what I'm ending up doing with the show is that I I make kind of sound worlds that I inhabit. And it's purposely, I purposely am trying to slow down time. I'm purposely trying to disengage our rational brain from being like, what's, what's, tell me, tell me what to think. Tell me what to think. Because that's what we naturally do when we go into, go into the, okay, what, what is this? Tell me, uh, I want to know, what is this? What's this about? Um, And I'm trying to slow that process down in order to help create or open a space where people can dream a little bit. You know, when you go to a concert or like, you know, slow music, you know, and you kind of sit and, and your mind kind of wanders 
and you listen to music and new ideas or images or memories come up and things like that. And that's that's what I'm trying to create with this piece. And that's really like, that's what I would love for people to come away with is their own, have their own experience, whatever that may be. Um, and to, to find a little bit of dream space while I'm dreaming on stage. Because that's a show is a little bit, it's, I, I have to, I have to kind of go into a dream like state to do this show. Um, it's really, really, really um, raw and vulnerable. And in, in like in prepping for the show, it's not like high energy and I can't, I, I don't have a lot of like dance moves and all this kind of stuff. It's very much like I have to prepare myself to be ready to be myself and to show myself on stage in front of people. And if I'm, if I'm able to do that, I'm hoping that that will create a space where people are able to meet, meet me and, and, and maybe learn something about themselves. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, so I think that's, I guess that's my roundabout way to answer that question. No, it's, no, it's a good, it's good. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to give the dates for everybody yes please do um so I love that you're starting in the Isle of Skye yes me too gorgeous so I will pop all these in um the show notes of today's episode as well so everybody can find all the dates but um you are in Ancru, Isle of Skye and then you're in Dunvegan Hall in the Isle of Skye as well mm -hmm. Uh, Kenan Park Complex in Glasgow, Beacon Arts Centre in Greenock, the Brunton in Musselburgh, the Corn Exchange in Melrose, Summer Hall in Edinburgh, the Bayer Theatre in St Andrews and Lithe Arts uh, Centre, uh, which is up north. Yeah, on the north coast, yeah. On the north coast. Um, so many different places that you're going to as well, mm -hmm. which, yeah, yeah. and obviously I can see the poster for Unbecoming, and it's kind of giving me like that kind of sitting on the rocks vibe. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, just like That's that cool. vibrating thing is giving me like sea. So oh, I can good. Yeah. I like that. That some somehow that seems very appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of love that we're on island an island to start with and then up north to finish with. It's all uh it's all really beautiful. And um how are you feeling about that? Because that's another kind of chunk of time. It's not another, a huge amount, but it is another kind of two weeks away. Yeah, it is. I'm feeling, I feel very different about this time around. The, you know, last time around, I felt like I had a lot of lead-in time. So I was in rehearsals and things kind of, because I had to get the show back up on its feet. Um, and um, I'm just going to put a cat butt in my face. I wish everybody could see it. The cat is just walking right across the screen, hitting <laughs> Anna in the face with its tail. It's just, yeah. Yeah, he's charming. Um, <laughs> yeah, this time around, I think um, I'm curious about this time around because I'm going to be based at home a lot more than I was the first time. The first time around, I was just straight up away. And, and this time around now, it's going to be a lot more of a negotiation between like, okay, am I going to have to deal with a screaming toddler tantrum at 530 in the morning, like I did today, um, on a show day? Like, is this something that's actually, you know, I don't get to protect my space in the same way. 
Um, and I'm a bit nervous about that, but it's my reality. So I think what I have to do is stay true to what I'm doing here, which is I'm bringing myself. And if that's what myself is, then that's what I'm bringing. That's, that's what I got. That's what I got. And I just have to, um, I have to make sure that I'm like, you know, I, I, this is what I train myself for. You know, I have to, I have to be able to deliver. I have to be able to get myself into that state, no matter what time I woke up and no matter how many wake ups I had to do in the night or. It's also that thing though, isn't it? As a performer, like you've got all of that, you've got all your stuff ready to go on stage, but also you're a human being. So no matter what has happened outside does have an effect on you whether that's physically or emotionally but that is the beauty of theater because that's why it's different every night because it gets to be different and you're taking it from it's coming from a different place yeah like it's you know and the joy of a solo show is that it's not you don't have that extra worry of affecting someone else's performance if you're slightly you know however they their process Mm -hmm. yeah because when you're working with an ensemble you have to you have to there's an extra level of listening because you have to be listening together and you have to mediate all those relationships in order to have a a cohesive thing that you're then putting out into the world for the audience yeah 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 do you I mean because I've I've obviously been in an ensemble um and I I love ensemble work it's Mm. like my favorite Mm. um yeah do you how do you find doing the solo show without an ensemble this time um yeah well like I said I swore I was never going to do a solo because I loved ensemble work so much I you know I love working with other people and I feel like you know it's it's what is that um that gorgeous meeting of minds and imaginations and um sparks of like wow I never thought I would be doing this because you're you're kind of coming with another person it's great um but I actually really like doing solo work too. <laughs> I was really surprised. I really enjoy it. You know, it's it's um it's really confronting. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work to carry a show. I mean, the show is like 50 minutes and it is exhausting for me to perform. Um, and I'm really not that busy. Like I'm not running around on stage doing things. It's like, it's emotionally and psychologically exhausting to perform. Um, but it's also really empowering to know that I can do it. And it's, you know, I, I don't know. I'll be curious to see what happens next in terms of what kinds of work I make after this. Um, I do I do wonder if maybe there's more solo work. But also I'm starting to think about, I'm actually starting to think about installation work. And I'm starting to think about how it is that I can create spaces where audience can come into them and actually be the movers not I don't mean movers as in like dancers but I mean like that there isn't a performer as such but that the experience is happening to people as they come in so I'm kind of chewing on chewing on those things yeah I don't know we'll see what happens I mean Anna I could talk to you literally four hours and I probably have so many more questions so at some other point let's another time let's talk some more it's very nice to talk with you um but before we finish, we we like to ask um all of our guests the question. Um, so uh, the reason we're called persistent and nasty is kind of two major points in political history, both American actually, which was pointed out to us by a uh, Sarah Sharawi. Um, and we were like, oh yeah, let, let, maybe 
But anyway, it was um, nevertheless, she persisted about Elizabeth Warren. And then in 2016, um, when the previous president of the United States was uh, running and uh, was in a, a, what are they called, when they were both, both candidates are being questioned, um, he called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman for mm-hmm. daring to give him actual facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the Twitter onslaught from surgeons and CEOs of, well, if she's a nasty woman, so am I. So that is why we are persistent and nasty. So Anna, what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you? (laughs) Oh, persistent and nasty, not never giving up and um, fierce, being fierce, really, really fierce and not giving up. That's what it means to me. I love it. Fabulous. Um, I'm also going to let everybody know that in Company of Wheels, you can sign up for their workshops. So again, I'll link that in the show notes um, and uh, all your social media and all of that. So everybody can follow you, know exactly what's happening. But um, Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Elaine. It's been really, really, really great talking with you. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, until next time, lovely listeners. Stay nasty. Stay nasty.